And we're back. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> to the well, podcast. I feel like I'm caught off guard. Yeah. Like, we were all waiting for you. I know. Well, so Everyone what I was, was... going to say about like Alex's estrogen pills <laughs> is like, I find it. Um, so if I, if I was teaching a screenwriting class and somebody was like, there are these estrogen pills, but you have to like, not speak for 45 minutes while you take it, I would be like, that's too on the fucking nose. <laughs> we gotta redo that shit. And they're like, it's about how women should be seen and not heard. And it's like, I, nope. There is, I've said it before, I've said it, said it again, there is a boomer-ass joke somewhere in there. Uh, <laughs> now... I'm just saying, like, if, if somebody came up to me and was like, this isn't my screenplay, I'd be like, that's... No, like take another pass at that. That's too. That's too obvious. Yeah, no, it's definitely the joke. It is definitely like a Lockhorns ass, like like, co- like cartoon, and it's like you know the guy wearing like a golf shirt and like shorts, being like, "Man, I wish all women would be quiet for forty five minutes a day." That's, that's the boomer ass joke. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> See, the punchline is that he dislikes his wife. <laughs> As is the common punchline in Boomer Day. Oh, God. Can we and talk see, about that for a minute? Like, here's here's the thing, though, about my pills, is that, like, apparently that's not usual, like, to take that long. Like, oh, really? Yeah, for example, like, other trans girls that also use uh, dissolvable estrogen tablets, estradiol, like, it takes them maybe, like, 15 minutes max. But for me, it's like, for whatever reason, I just got to keep my mouth closed longer. (laughs) God. Uh, Anyway, hi, I'm Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Nick. And I'm Elise. Uh, We're some nerds have a podcast. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to our podcast. This is going to be a weird one. I can already tell. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, I mean, like, we started talking about, like, Alex's titty pills. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to call them that? You can call them that. Titty Skittles. (laughs) (laughs) Use the correct term. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Titty Skittles. Titty Skittles. Antihistamines. You know. (laughs) Antihistamines. That one's good. I like that. Uh, so where do we go from here? It's it's only downhill from here, y'all. See, I my my plan my plan for this was to do the uh forty five minute long prologue to to David Lynch's Dune, mm-hmm. with the punchline being that Elise and I haven't seen Dune yet. Oh, um, but, I know, yeah. I know. We're, we're going tomorrow. Nerds. Okay, and I know, okay. and you know, and you watch it. I watched. Yeah. Got to go see it and. We were lame and didn't go see it with you. Yeah. And we also did like the part of the reason for that was that we just straight up didn't have the money. Okay. Um, Fair. And, we wanted, and there's like there's an IMAX theater like five minutes from our house, mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's like well we could go down like for like a three hour drive and go see it in a regular theater, or we could wait <laughs> and go see it in IMAX. So God. I think. We're yeah, there were there were IMAX showings at the theater I went to. We didn't end up going to one because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like paying extra for a bigger screen. Fair. Um, it, it's just never been. But a how else will you appreciate Isaac? Uh, no, who's it? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. I appreciate Oscar Isaac's Pascal? beard. I don't know. I I appreciated Timothy Chalamet's twink ass face. 
Um, <laughs> he is a twink ass face, isn't he? Like, um, but God, he's so like willowy. Yeah, like if you've seen him in any of the scenes in Little Women, it's like his like just like the nineteenth century shirt is just like flapping in the wind, and I'm like, are you a hanger with a head? <laughs> Like, like, is this why clothes look good on you? Because you're just a hanger with a head. Yeah. Anyway, it's just like flap, 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 and I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> Ugh. Like, what is your what is your stupid face saying? Anyway. Um, Duncan Idaho. You know, being Duncan Idaho. Mm-hmm. It's it's Dune. The I I don't yeah. I want to talk about it, but I don't want to like spoil it. But it's like it's Dune. You know Dune. It's Dune. I know Dune. Uh, right. Like we had a, no. like I oh. <laughs> God. We watched the entire six hour miniseries. I have never. So when I was a teenager um, and Lord of the Rings was like super cut, I can't believe that that movie series is now 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, don't say mm-hmm, like the lady from the Pine Saw ad. <laughs> <laughs> You're exposing some like big truth onto me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forgot all about those commercials. Anyway. You know Nicole Byer is the new voice of Pine Salt. So yeah, back when, like so like, anyway, yeah. sorry. So when teenager. I was in middle school, back when I was like in elementary school, when the Lord of the Rings was coming out. <laughs> you know what? Why didn't you take another titty skittle? Like, <laughs> shut up for another 45 minutes. Sorry. So when I was in high school, like a normal fucking adult. Um, sorry. What? I'm sorry. I don't know. That didn't make any sense. I was very angry and just words were flying out of my mouth. Okay. So, um, you know, I was like, I was a really big Lord of the Rings fan, especially with the movies. And, you know, I read all the books and I tried to read the Silmarillion. And by all the books, I mean, like, the trilogy and the Hobbit, which mm-hmm. I know is like a third of the books that actually exist. But, but it's it's um, the ones that everyone knows. It's the, yeah, yeah, the major it's, ones. Yeah, you can't call I, yourself a real fan until you've read the entire history of Middle Earth. Oh, bitch, you haven't either. I know, that was being okay. so <laughs> like, like, truly the only real fan then is Stephen Colbert. Um, the moral of the story is like, you know, it was one of those things where like a lot of people were like, oh, well, if you like, you know, six hour fantasy epics, have I got a book for you? And it's Dune. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. (laughs) Like, there is no hot, (laughs) there is no hot dude. But now there is. But now there is. There now are there several is. hot dudes, and I'm like, well, now I'm gonna have to read the fucking book. I mean, there, in the fairness, book. there were several hot dudes attached since 1984. Okay, but they I were mean, like 1984 level hot dudes, like Sting. Yeah, well, but yeah, as I was gonna say, but it's Sting and Kyle <laughs> MacLachlan. I like Kyle. Mac- Kyle MacLachlan is not hot though. No, Kyle MacLachlan is adorable. Mm. Um, but he is not, he is not hot. But Sting. He is not Vigo Mortensen, sting, dirty, sexy. Sting. Young Sting. 1984 Young Sting. sting. <laughs> in a Speedo. In, in a leather Speedo. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, like, and I don't know, the other aspect that I can't really get behind with Dune is like the, the grotesquely fat evil dude. Mm. And we know that he's evil because he's grotesquely fat. And gay. Don't and, forget that he's and also gay. Hedge gay. gay. Don't forget that he's gay. And I'm just like, I can't. Mm. I really can't. Like, like really, we went 2,000 years into the future. We're still, like, super fat uh, phobic. Like 8,000 years, 8, right? years and they didn't solve fucking fat phobia. Mm. These people can fuck right off. Anyway, versus, like, I mean, I don't know. Lord of the Rings, it's, like, is hella racist because there's only white people except for, like, 
the black-skinned orcs, and it's like, well, that's that's problematic. No, there's also the, evil... the, the evil humans from yeah. The oh, right. There's the evil humans that are also dark-skinned. Yes. Okay, but like, I don't know. It's <laughs> ugh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But the hobbits, I love the hobbits mm-hmm. so much. What about um? There was that one character. He's cut out of the movies, though. Um, what's his name? Gonbury Gone. Oh, the dude that they go to during Return of the King, and he's like, "Get the fuck!" Like, like I like you guys, but this is your fight. I'm not. Or no, they do eventually help them. Yeah. The Wild Men. Yeah. Who are also called the Wild Men? Wow, Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Hoo hoo, buddy. But then it's like, okay, that's like at least written in like the 1930s and 40s. Yeah. Dune's being written in like the 60s, mm-hmm. like the height of counterculture. And it's like, well, you should have fucking known better. You know, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm like going. So but basically the moral of the story is a bunch of people were like, you should read Dune. And now I'm like, I'm not going to fucking read Dune. Now Dune came out on like IMAX theater and HBO mm-hmm. Max and it's like, aren't you gonna read Dune now? And I'm like, well fucking maybe. I mean I'm not gonna Oscar read Isaac. Dune. Like I watched okay, the part this movie and I have no plans on reading Dune. But you're not a real fan. Are we gonna bring back no. this argument from the early two thousands? <laughs> where it was like you're not a real fan if you didn't read the book. If someone calls me out on it, I'll say sure, why not? Grow <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> We're all too old to care. <laughs> as as someone who has read many of the books but not by no means all of them mm-hmm. where's like 20 books right okay so there's like six books that frank herbert wrote and then his idiot son wrote a whole bunch more the six- oh my god this is just like tolkien yeah Sorry. um but but the six books that frank herbert wrote i i will say the first book slash the first two movies now if that is all you know that is like that's the prologue to the actual stuff and like when it gets into it like the original book is so much more just like normal sci-fi than what it gets into in the later series like it's it's so fucking like it's so it gets so much weirder than that first book. And then yeah, okay. so much weirder. Okay. So I'm not gonna talk I, I mean, like I say, I can't really spoil this plot because you've seen yeah. it like twice yeah. and one of you's read it. Yeah. Um, but compared to what I have seen, which is the the ninety the eighty four uh David Lynch movie, I will say this much about the modern one. Um, they don't try to put the whole book into a single movie. This is part one of t- maybe two, maybe three. Who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. But this is part well, it's one. Definitely two because they already greenlit. They already have two part two. two. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if they're gonna get through the whole story in part two because it's a big ass thing. But maybe they will. Um, I will say compared to the the Lynch version, it's a lot easier to follow. I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like it, it was able to actually take the time to explain some things. Um, and it made you, it made it kind of make sense what the whole deal, like why the Atreides are doing the things that they're doing and like what's going on with the Fremen. Like it, it it's kind of went over my head with the Lynch movie. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, and 
I think there's a character that I don't even remember from the Lynch movie. Apparently he's there, mm-hmm. um, which is like the the judge of the change or something. Oh, like that. yeah. No, he's there. Okay. He's there. Yeah, um, he's there. I completely did not remember him at all, but he's yeah. he's now a she in this, in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, and she is she is uh, a much bigger part, it seems, at least one that I can remember. Um, he's he's in the scene um in the in the in the david lynch movie mm-hmm. um uh dr kynes yes uh slash liette is in the ornithopter when they go to the uh he's the one flying it when they go right. to see the um the spice mining operation right dr kynes is in in that scene as well but she also appears in other parts of the, the film too. yeah um but anyway, but like like her her role is expanded. At least it appears to be expanded. I could be just completely blocking that role's memory. Um, we spend more time uh, on Caladan, and kind of like yeah. you hear a lot more about what the the Ar- Ar- like what the Atreides deal is. Um, and I think we we actually spend a bit less time with the Harkonnens. Um, that that would make sense because they don't really show up that much in the book until like shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Like you 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 do see you know the Baron and you see um what's his face the Baron's nephew, uh, uh Raban. Yeah, um and of course, but like I don't know maybe maybe it'll show up in the the latter half more. Uh, I like the costumes. Oh yeah, yeah. The costumes, I from from the pictures I've seen, the costumes are amazing. The cinematography mm-hmm. looks great. Like everything about yeah. it looks real good. Um, yeah, the, um, yeah. The only thing I could say is that there's a lot of like prophecy scenes where it's like Timothy yeah. Chalamet like spaces out, and then there's like <laughs> a scene where you see events that may happen in the future or events that are related to things that may happen in the future. And it's it's it kind of feels like you're padding out the runtime a little bit with that, um, after a point, but I don't know. We'll see. And that, that's also a lot of the book. For, yeah, like a lot of the first half of the book is like, oh fuck, oh god damn it, ah oh, the golden path, oh it sucks, oh I don't want to go down the golden path. <laughs> but um, yeah, it also I will say this, um. Like, if I'm remembering correctly, like, the Fremen in uh, in the Lynch version of Dune are mostly pay- played by, like, white actors. Oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> Whereas okay. in this one... You know, do, you, do you remember who plays Stilgar in the David Lynch version? I don't remember the actor, no. It's Everett McGill, who <laughs> plays uh, fucking uh, Big Ed Hurley oh, in Twin he- Peaks. Oh god, that's fucking right. I forgot about that. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. So we have we have some actual like people of color in these roles, yeah, Uh, Yeah. and they seem a lot you know more like Arab coded uh, or such like that. And then there's like Zendaya, right? Yes. Um. It, it very much is the case of this film was dedicated to the brave Mujahideen warriors of Arrakis. Like, I yeah. made that joke, and other people have made that joke, too. Uh, 
anyway. For, for the record, uh, Dr. Kynes in the David Lynch version was Max von Sydow. Mm. So, very, very well, very well-known actor. But yeah, you're right. He's in like three scenes. Yeah. So anyway. Um, but yeah, I'll, hopefully we'll be able to talk about it a bit more once y'all actually see yeah, it. Though. Yeah, we'll definitely, yeah. we will definitely have seen it by the next time we record. So we will talk about it then. Excellent. Um, we did. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go, you go ahead. I was going to say, we did, we did see the other big event that everybody's talking about, which is the touring company version of the, uh, of the hit Broadway show, Town. Oh, how was that? <laughs> Alex, pretending like she's ever heard of this. I mean, I've heard of Town because I watched Philosophy Tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Like she did sing, she did sing one of the songs at the end of one of her videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Lindsay Ellis has mm-hmm. talked about it, and yeah. it's, I mean, it's, and it's like one of those things that it keeps getting referenced, and it often gets referenced in juxtaposition to uh, Hamilton because mm-hmm. they have a similar trajectory, okay. if you will. Okay. Um, do you want me to give you the rundown of Hades Town? Go right ahead. Okay. So Hades Town was originally a concept album by Anise Mitchell, who is this girls with guitar, indie darling kind of singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the likes of like Fiona Apple or uh trying to think of like who else. Ani DeFranco. Ani DeFranco. Who is right? also on the concept album. Yeah. Um, so like she gets all of her, like her girls with guitar type friends together to create a, a concept album based on the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, sort of against the backdrop of like a 1930s rail town. Okay. Okay. So it's like big America. So like, like Hamilton has, uh, really big Americana influences, um, but instead of being like East Coast rap, it's uh, like New Orleans jazz scene mm-hmm. is the the overarching like musical genre for for Hades Town, I would say. And um, and it's based off of the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, and she takes that and she ties it into the love story of Hades and Persephone. Okay. Um, and. So it's kind of one of these things where it's like it's very much like a critical darling um, it starts off where she's just, like, doing it in her backyard, uh, with her friends in 2011, and then, like, slowly over time until finally 2019, it becomes, like, the, the favorite at the Tonys, and wins, like, a fuck ton of Tony Awards, and wins a fuck ton of Grammy Awards, um, it has a lot to say about life, and existentialism, and, um, and American capitalism, and climate change, like, its politics are not subtle. <laughs> right, right. It is not fucking subtle. Like, Hades is a, like, they turned Pluto into a Plutotar. Pluto, Plutocrat. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what Nick's, Nick's line was, was, uh, after we saw it, it was like, they literally turned Pluto into a Plutocrat. Um, so, in the play, uh, Hermes, they're kind of like at a town that's on the railway, they're on a railroad station, that leads to hell. Um, and they, it's not particularly set in the 1930s, but it is 
very like 30s inspired yeah it is 30s inspired it's implied that hades hades town which is the town that hades you know that the underworld uh is like a factory town right like that's the song uh we build the wall uh why we build the wall right yeah yeah, yeah. um and like the wall will keep us free Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i said it's not super subtle no uh um and so you know the myth of orpheus eurydice we all know and they say it at the the top of the show like this is a sad song this is a tragedy we're singing it anyway like just so you know you're in for a bad time (laughs) um like uh so that's the top of the show um and so the idea is like orpheus is the son of a muse um eurydice is his wife his wife, uh, in the original myth, his wife dies. He misses her so much, he goes down to Hades. Uh, he goes down into the underworld and he makes a deal with Hades. Hades, it, or he sings this like beautiful song of their love. And Hades is like, all right. Uh, Persephone is like, you got to let him go. You got to let him take his wife back. And Hades is like, all right, you can go. She'll follow behind you. Mm-hmm. And if you turn around, then I'm just, I'm going to keep her. Uh, so it's, it's a test, it's a test of fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a test of faith uh, that Orpheus fucking fails because he's a dipshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Eurydice is taken from him. Mm. Um, At least she doesn't get turned into salt. Yeah. 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 yeah very similar story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say about, like, I don't know. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, the, I love the way that it weaves, um, you know, very much like Orpheus is like this optimist, whereas Eurydice is a real realist. And the the fact that in the myth she just dies, mm-hmm. um, I think usually it's like told a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's like she dies in childbirth. Sometimes it's like it was an unusually hard winter and she died. Um, in the play, in the musical, they actually make it her choice. Mm. Um, so, like, she's struggling. Orpheus is convinced that if he could just write a song, then, uh, then like, the seasons will go back to being in harmony and, like, the whole world's going to be okay. Like, if I could just make the song, um, then then we're all going to be fine. And um, the, cli- the climate change aspect of this is that Hades has gotten so controlling over uh, Persephone that the seasons have gotten all out of whack. Ah. And so so spring and autumn no longer exist at all. It's always either just summertime or it's wintertime. And it's always the hottest summers and the coldest winters. Mm. Um, and so he's convinced if he can just sing this song to Hades, he'll, he'll relinquish his jealousy. Everything will be okay. Um... And Eurydice is trying to make sure that they have food and they have money and that they have like shelter to, to weather the storm. And Orpheus is like just off creating a song. And basically Hades like makes her a deal and is like, well, uh, sorry, your husband sucks <laughs> and like sucks to suck. If you come back to Hades town, you'll always be full. You'll always have shelter. Uh, here's, here's your fare. Let me know what you, you want to do. And, um, there's a lot of, 
in the play itself, there's a lot of, it's very influenced by theater of cruelty, um, which is this idea that if you are watching a play or a musical, you should always know that you're watching a play or a musical. You should always be aware that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in Hades Town, there's a lot of um, fourth wall breaking. There's a lot of direct addresses to the audience. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that like really got to me was um, at the end of that song where Hades is like, well, like you can make your choice, go make your choice. Um, they, you know, the, she does choose, she does decide to go to Hades town and um, the fates come out who've been kind of following her along and they're like, well, what can you, what, like, who are you to judge? Mm-hmm. Like you can have principles uh, when I forget the exact wording, but it's essentially like you can have principles when your belly is full. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to have principles when you can keep the lights on and you have shelter, but, right. um, you know, like, what would you have done? You probably, you would have done the same thing. Like you would have sold out if you were in her shoes, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a really interesting thing. Like the, the, I love touring companies um because where you do the show deeply affects the audience Mm -hmm. um like i think it it affects the audience participation right like i think i talked about this when we saw hamilton um like there was times where they were very much hamming it up especially like pun intended um like you know when they got to the battle of yorktown and when jefferson when they sing the the act two opener uh thomas jefferson's coming home you know, because it's in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so it's like people are losing their shit, right? Because it's like <laughs> we're watching it in Norfolk, which is like an hour. Like it's like a stone's throw away from Yorktown where like all of this stuff is happening. Right. And so like people are like losing their fucking minds, right? In a similar way, I feel like the, ha- the but- Town cast really relished in the fact that like we are at the Kennedy Center. We are at the center of arts for our nation. We are in Washington, D.C. And they are just like oh yeah motherfuckers like we have your number like we know y'all work for the government um <laughs> like like is pete Buttigieg in the audience like we see you you know so it's like they really um i think there's you know and granted like i have a very small perspective on this because i you know one i haven't seen that many touring shows and two um you know granted like these are very like interesting examples hades town in dc and and Hamilton and Norfolk, but it's mm-hmm. like I really do feel like where they're performing does affect um, the audience's relation to the work. Right. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say about the, uh, the 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 Hamilton one. I, I don't remember if we mentioned this when we saw it. If we talked about it on the the podcast, but someone cheered the words Chesapeake Bay. Because yeah. the words Chesapeake Bay get mentioned in one of the songs. Yeah. And someone in the audience went, woo! <laughs> <laughs> like, I do like, remember that. Audibly. You did say that. Yeah, like audibly you can hear it from the audience. Woo! <laughs> World's largest estuary, y'all! <laughs> Super important biodiversity! Anyway. Um, but yeah, like, they, you know, so there's... And there's like a deep connection... Um, one of the nice things about theater of cruelty is, is the fact that the audience and the, the audience and the actors co-construct the meaning of the play. 
Mm -hmm. um, since you are doing so much like fourth wall breaking and direct address. Um, so that is really nice when you're doing, when you're seeing it as part of a touring company. Mm -hmm. Um, highly recommend it. Highly recommend the, the original cast recording. Um, it's essentially, I hate to say it's a rock opera. Um, it is done in that rock opera style, but understand that you're getting New Orleans jazz. But if you listen to it, you are missing the visuals and the visuals Mm. are really simpatico with the rest of the, um, with the rest of the production. Um, and they also like, everybody had a very, like every, it's nice because everybody's on the same page. You don't always get that. Right. Where it's like everybody, like the designers also buy into the same philosophy that the director clearly has Mm -hmm. and that the actors clearly have and that the playwright clearly has. Right. It's, there's something really beautiful about this production because everything's so in sync and the way that like the lights will pulsate, um, like there's a number where they're singing about the construction of Hades town. And it's like, why are the lights so bright down here? Like it's not right. And it's not natural. And like the lights are actually like shining, getting brighter during that scene. Mm-hmm. And at the point where it's like the, the theater itself gets physically hotter, um, because the lights are shining. Directly you're in hell. hell. <laughs> um, yeah, but, they, yeah. They, they do a lot of really interesting things with the lights. There's um, there's parts of the set that move to reveal more lights behind the set, hmm. and it it's only used a handful of times, and each time it's used, it it's used to uh, show like a lot of different things, and so there's like a lot of like pops that you get from very simple like oh, hey, like, we're opening this thing and there's a light behind it. And then, like, and the what that light signifies is different at different points in the play. Um, And so each time it gets, like, a big, like, emotional kind of, uh, like, response to it. Right. Uh, And the way that they integrate, like, integrate the lights into the way that, like, the choreography works and... Um, the, into the lyrics of the music, like everything, like Elise was saying, just kind of works together in this really interesting way. Um, Which is, you know, it's it's 100% worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is 100% worth seeing. You should absolutely try to see it. Um, however, if you only are able to listen to the cast recording, you're still going to get the full story. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that, like, you're not necessarily going to, if you watch, like, a book musical, like, Wicked, um, or Sound of Music, like, you're going to miss, like, key parts of that, or Beauty and the Beast is, like, another example. We're going to miss really key parts, uh, but because it's it's sung through, um, you're going to get the whole story, even if you just listen to the, to the cast recording. And even in the cast recording, you're going to get those theater cruelty elements, like, there's a point where Persephone shouts out the band. She's singing her act two opener. And um, so she gets the act two opener and she actually shouts, calls out the names of the actual musicians that are on stage with her um, at the time. And so that's in, that's in the original recording. There's no, there's no pit orchestra. It is all just, there is a jazz band on stage yeah. during the entire show. That's and they're like kind of part of the story as well in some respects. They get dressed in the same costumes as the workers. 
Um, so it's all working together uh, to create the story in a way that it's like, it's really, it's a, just, I don't know. It's so cool when you see a show where like everything is working, not only is everything working together, but everybody is bought into the philosophy of the show, right. um, which the two heavy hitters, which of course, why this is covered by philosophy tube is because the two heavy hitters, uh, the two kind of like uh, philosophical threads um, are theater of cruelty by our toe. And then existentialism is the other, because it's like, they tell you at the front of the show this is a sad song. Mm -hmm. It's a tragedy. We're going to sing it anyway. And they don't pull the punch. Like, um, I don't know. Should I spoil this? Should you spoil uh, Orpheus? I know, right? Here's here's the thing. I know this, the the, the original myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, like, really well. Like, I know, I I knew going into it what it was going to be. And so I was like, all right, well, how are they going to reconcile this? Because, like, you're going to go see this upbeat musical. So right. like the expectation maybe is that you, you kind of tell it in a happier way. Like maybe you're going to get a happy ending. Maybe not necessarily getting a happy ending, but like you're, you're going to get like a better, like a more upbeat ending. Like there's, there's something else to it. Um, or are you just going to go with the full, like, like the regular sad ending, which might be a little bit trite with like everything else that's going on. Like, yeah. But the way that they do it, I, I cried, like I ugly cried in the theater because it is, it was not a way that I was really expecting. Um, and it is like, it is the story and they tell you from the beginning, like, yeah, don't forget, this is a tragedy. Right. Like it's an old song from long ago and like, we're going to sing this one again. Um, like, you know how it goes. Um, but just the way that it all comes together at the end is really powerful. And I feel like it wouldn't have been as powerful for me if I had listened to it before I saw it. Um, like if I knew what was coming, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, I might, I might be wrong there, but it was like, it was really, really good. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, but they find the joy. I will say they find the joy in existentialism, which I think is a thing mm-hmm. that's easily missed. I think is, a lot of people. Is mm. it represented by a jazz band? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Good. 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 Um, but I think like I think that's something that like people can really miss in the myth of Sisyphus. It's like you know I think I think people get bogged down. Um, you know, like, especially like when we use it in like common, kind of common vernacular, it's like, we always talk about existential dread, but we don't talk about existential joy. Mm. Um, and like, I think that was like one of the points that Camus was trying to make in yeah. the, the myth of Sisyphus is like, there is something about like, you know, what's going to happen and you, you find the joy in, you find the joy in the movement and you find the joy in the action. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, you find the 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 bliss in uh in being in the moment, if that makes sense. Kind of. 
I'll have yeah. to, to look more into that. I'm not well, just brush with... up on your Camus. I'm not Stay. as familiar with Camus. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's say I'm like, I fucking, I fucking majored in theater in like uh-huh. the, the late 2000s. So like there was just, that was all you got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I tell you, I didn't, I wasn't in a pre-professional program. Like I was in a liberal arts program. So there was a lot of philosophy. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> like, fucked on philosophy in my theater degree very little practical this is how you do theater <laughs> just kidding you don't need to know how to act <laughs> <laughs> yes. anyway read this 20 page paper about yeah. your <laughs> okay. you just need to understand why you need the tree in waiting for Godot to be exactly this way if you can't get it that way you can't perform it god Who's that motherfucker? Who's that bitch? I hate that bitch. Um, (laughs) uh, Oh, God. Who wrote that? Beckett. Fuck Beckett. Anyway. Mm. So, yeah. So, that's Hadestown. Um, It's absolutely worth a listen. Nice. Um, There's, like, the original... There's the original Broadway cast. There's the off-Broadway cast recording. And there is the concept album. uh, All available on Spotify. Highly recommend it. Um, like I said, you know, the the visuals add a lot. Um, mm-hmm. The choreography adds a lot. And, uh, but, you know, you're still going to get the whole plot. You'll still get the whole story um, if you just listen to it. If you just listen to it. I'm sorry, can I say one more thing? Though? Please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I've just been, like, gushing about this musical for, like, the last three weeks uh, since we saw it. Um, you haven't touched on podcasts, so I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I thought was really, really cool, and I wish more—I wish more productions would do this. Um, so, so the Hades Town has a really diverse cast. Um, the original Broadway production, like, so there's like an older, there's an older black gentleman who plays uh, Hermes. Hermes. Um, it's a white guy that plays Hades. Uh, the Young Lovers, I think Orpheus is white, I think um, Eurydice is mixed race. Um, the point is that I'm trying to make, like, mm-hmm. by listing off everybody's races. So that's how, like, kind of the original cast uh, falls in terms of diversity. The touring cast, um, like, they give roles that were originated by white actors to black actors. They give roles that were originated by black actors to white actors. Uh, roles that were, like, originated by thinner actors get given to, like, larger actors. Um, there's a lot of body diversity in the cast itself, mm-hmm. um, both, like, from, like, really, really lithe, um, thinner people to um, more heavy set people to, like, athletic um looking people and they all if you look at the casting notes um all like the the chorus all the swing cast so a swing is somebody that can play multiple roles so they're understudying for multiple roles essentially Mm -hmm. um so the idea is like we can swing you into like wherever we need you to be um they understudy like wildly different roles (laughs) like you have like you know, you have the the larger bodied actor could also be Hermes one night, or he could be Hades one night. I think it was you know? it was Hermes or uh, Orpheus. Or Orpheus, yeah, like they have him playing like the romantic lead. 
you know, some nights, which was just like, holy shit, you know, nobody fucking does this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's so many unwritten rules in theater about the kinds of bodies we can show on stage and the kinds of bodies that can have different kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, it was really just refreshing and amazing to see this cast list of, like, you could come in one night and instead of Eurydice being like a tiny, life-bodied, you know, lighter-skinned actress, she's a dark-skinned, athletic, uh, you know, five-foot-eight woman, right? Like, the fact that you could, like, walk in at any night and have this beautiful diversity of, of actors playing you know, lead roles and, and the chorus roles. Yeah. And it's also like, it's just so really impressive that you could have a cast that understands all of the characters enough that they can do that. Yeah. And we we were actually, um, when we went, we saw the main cast, like the original cast being, uh, that was uh, in the touring company. Mm -hmm. And like Hermes is sort of written to be, like sort of this 1930s charismatic preacher kind of character because right. he's the one telling the story, right? Yeah. Like, like it gives off big tent revival vibes. It's right. like it's not like the Father Calhoun like get on the radio and talk about how the Jews are fucking no, okay. not more, the, not more like like a healing like uh, the power of Christ compels you like yeah. out demons. Like he's more like written like that, right? And, and so in the original Broadway play, he's like this older like African American guy in the original Broadway cast and in the touring company, it was like this younger, like, like mid thirties, like white guy. It was like six feet tall and very, very built. Right. And, and it was like, and the guy playing Orpheus is like half his size. Yeah. Anyway. And it was like, and then with that, and that was good casting. Cause yeah. it, like Hermes is supposed to be like a mentor figure for him in the play. Um, but then like oh, That's, that's the, uh, the, the understudy was like in the, in the chorus, and you know he was like this huge like i think he was the the tallest person in the entire cast and like very heavy set and i'm like i really would like to have seen this guy play or like her like play hermes because i feel like he would have done such an interesting job with this role like i feel kind of bad that we saw the person who was like passed for that part it's like i want to see him like i'm gonna go back and see this other actor as hermes um which is like you know because it's like a lot of there's a lot of pressure in touring companies especially to give people a carbon copy of the broadway experience right Mm -hmm. so like when you see when you see hamilton on the touring company you're gonna get a guy who looks similar to Lin-Manuel Miranda Mm -hmm. you know playing Hamilton you're gonna get somebody I mean like you look at the touring you look at the cast that they put in Australia in in the West End it doesn't really matter like they all kind of look the same right as the people um who originated the roles like you're not getting a lot of um, you're not getting a lot of differences between mm-hmm. the different casts that we have around and they're being played around the world. And yet somehow we're always going to find like some kind of like Lin-Manuel Miranda, like copy machine, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like um, to, to be fit and to be placed into that role. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the guy that played Aaron Burr looked very similar to Leslie Odom, 
junior, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's um whereas like with Hades Town, it's like, oh no, fuck you. Like <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put in who we're gonna yeah. put in. Like, like literally anyone can play any, any of these is, parts. Yeah. Is which, kind of the way that it seems like it's going. You don't, you just, you just I can't emphasize this enough. You just don't get that another. And like it's not like Hamilton, I'm picking on Hamilton. Um, that's not the only show that does this. Mm. Um, most touring companies kind of work this way. And so to see like Hades town really go against the grain and, um, really kind of be like, no, any of these characters and the way that they, they seem like they're really allowed to create these parts and let these parts be their own in a way that you're just not, you're just not getting right. Mm. <laughs> like in right. other, and other like touring companies are very much treated as like the company men. Right. Like they are the work, like they are the workhorses of, of, um, of theater, right. They're the Mm -hmm. workhorses of live theater. It's like, you got to do a carbon copy. Like if that's how, you know, if that's how LMM stood in the, in the original cast recording, that's where you need to stand. Like if they did this, that's how you need to do it. Right. Um, you know, whereas like it's, the Hades tab is like, no, it's live theater. You, you need to trust your actors and you need to understand that you're going to have a different experience at the Kennedy Center than you would have, you know, on Broadway that you would have had in Anais Mitchell's uh, backyard sure. in 2011. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, I don't know. I just keep gushing. It's very funny. It's very, like, obvious, like, when you see it, why it's in particular become, like, a... a darling of especially like like bread tubers mm-hmm. <laughs> like we talked about how like philosophy tube like saying saying the song at the end of whatever videos um the Lindsay ellis refers to it like there's a couple of other one like uh sarah zed talks about it mm-hmm. like lots and lots of these um like lots and lots of the bread tubers are are you know hawking are singing the praises of Hades Town, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of. Um, and then you watch it, and you're like, "Oh, this is why yeah. they all like yeah, it." Yeah, this is why. Because like yeah. I normally don't go in for musicals. Like I like theater, but I usually don't care too much for musicals. And this one, like we left, and I like we got in line for for merch. And I was very disappointed that they <laughs> sold out of the uh, the vinyl copies of the the soundtrack. Uh, so I was like, all right, well now I've got to find it online and order it from there. So I ordered that. And then like, I also got the original concept album because I'm like, ah, the music is also good. And like, it, it's something that I actually do want to like, listen to again. Yeah. Um, and just, it, it was so well told. And I think it like, it, it pushes a lot of things that are like very much in my kind of aesthetic wheelhouse. Like, it is very fantastical 1930s, I guess. <laughs> like, like, like... Magical realism. Yeah, magical realism. I mean, there was there was that game that we played that was, like, a yeah. uh, magical prohibition era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that is, that is kind of your jam, to a certain extent. To a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... But the fact that it's like, yeah, like we're taking the 30s aesthetic, but like the, the the opening number, like in fact, the opening words to the opening number 
are once upon a time there was a railroad line. Don't ask where, don't ask why. <laughs> yeah, don't no, don't ask where, don't ask when. Like it just somewhere this happened. Another as as the opening to um Streets, Streets of Fire. Yeah, it very much is like Streets of Fire in that way, where it's like Streets of Fire is like vaguely 1950s aesthetic, 1950s style music. Like Hadestown is like, yeah, there's a 30s aesthetic and 30s music, but it's an ancient Greek legend kind of commenting on shit that's happening today. Yeah. Which is why it's something that gets it, like the, the the repetition of it is so important, and the fact that the the casting is so like loose kind of plays into that. Where it's like it could be anyone, it could be anywhere. It's just like it, it, this shit just, and that's like a big theme of it is like this shit just keeps repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Like we don't actually get any of it to stop. Yeah. Um. Like, all, all, all of the, you know, the, the ills of capitalism, like, we, re- we, we know it's bad, we know, we've known it's been bad for a long time, and yet... <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, it is, it's worth, it's worth checking out if you are fortunate enough to uh, have, uh, be able to catch the tour... Mm-hmm. To be able to afford tickets and and go, it is definitely worth the time. Um, there is some like deep, sick irony, yeah, of this show being like very anti-capitalist, and yeah. you're gonna go see it in the Kennedy Center for like a hundred dollars a ticket. Yeah, like <laughs> I am not spending a hundred dollars on a ticket to see this. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, it was Elise's birthday it. present. Yeah, yeah, it was my birthday present. Also, like I'm pretty sure there's a bootleg running around on YouTube. Yeah, there is a few. I um, think. So you know, if you really, if you're really interested, just go watch the, yeah. the like, YouTube. I, w- I would pay twenty dollars for like a DVD recording of it. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Dollars to see it in person. No, that's fair. That is fair. I wish. I wish. Like, and that's the thing is like it has like a recording. Yeah. Um. You know, because like I got into, I didn't like it wasn't an argument. I was like trying to like I was like venting, um, you know, to my sibling about this, and I was like. And they're like, well, like, could they record it? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, the recording exists. Like, it's been standard practice for many years mm-hmm. um, to do a full cast recording um, or, like a, like, a live, like, video recording of the show right. uh, for archival and promotional purposes. Mm-hmm. They just don't fucking release this shit oh, until, like, Disney is like, oh, I'll give you a hundred million dollars, Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh-huh. Like until that shit fucking happens, mm-hmm. like you're not, you know. And nobody. And here's the thing: is like none of these people, like Amazon Prime, is not going to go to Anise Mitchell, like Jeff Bezos, thin, is not going to go to Anise Mitchell and be like, "Hey, that thinly veiled jab at me. Uh, could you put it on on Amazon Prime?" here's some money. You know what I mean? Like nobody's going to fucking do that yeah. for Hades town in a way that it's like, you know, something that's very celebratory. Like Hamilton is like, like almost masturbatory and how much mm-hmm. it loves America. Um, <laughs> like, you know, that obviously we're going to release it like July 4th, 2020 on Disney plus. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but like, what do you do with Hades town? It's like, uh, shit. If too many people see this, they might start getting ideas. <laughs> You release it on May 1st. 
<laughs> God, that's what we need. We need like a petition to get like the Hades Town full video recording to be released on May first on like PBS or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Anise Mitchell would be down for that. I feel like she'd be like, "This sounds good." <laughs> <sighs> so. That's Hades Town. That's speaking. Hades Town. Speaking oh. of uh, communism. Okay. Oh, okay. Are we are we gonna talk about are we gonna talk about this now? Yes, that yes! was exactly what I was gonna bring up. Luxury gay space communism. <laughs> Alex, how yes. did you like Lower Decks? Um, I would die for Encendi. Yes, Encendi's <laughs> oh, the best. She's so cute. I know. Um, oh. So so. I think we've talked briefly about Lower Decks before, uh, but not in like an exhaustive way because I hadn't seen it and I wanted to see it. Right. Um, but just kind of a recap for anyone unfamiliar, Lower Decks is a uh, animated Star Trek series about uh, a series of like four ensigns that are aboard a Star Trek, Starfleet star, uh, yeah. ship. California that, class. Yeah. Is not the Enterprise. Very no. much not so. No, very much, very much not the Enterprise. I love. I and I'm kind of sad that they got, they got rid of this joke. Mm -hmm. It feels like this was only the joke for like the first episode. Uh huh. And I feel like it's the one joke from the first episode that I think works the best because I feel that that first episode doesn't really work as an introduction to the show. Okay, why is that? Uh, I because I feel like the characters. The, this show goes through, like, reverse flanderization. Okay. Where, like, in the first episode, the two leads mm -hmm. are very much, like, flanderized versions of who those characters end up being. I, I would disagree. I would say that while that is, like, the effect that you see, mm -hmm. what it's more response is, A, either the characters growing, or B, the audience seeing more and more of them so that they and understand the, that. And that's, and that's fair. Mm -hmm. but like if you just watch that first episode i i almost gave up on the series after the first episode because i did not like the tone mm -hmm. uh, of that that first episode and i went back and and gave it another shot when people started talking about how great it was and i like from the second episode on i fucking loved it mm -hmm. but like that first one just like it, it just seemed way too cynical I suppose. Mm -hmm. Possibly. And then the rest of the series, like there's there's cynicism there. Like there's dark humor there. Like like a lot of the, the humor comes from the fact that, yeah, like the, the Federation isn't always the best place. Like the same shit that Deep Space Nine kind of goes into, right? Mm -hmm. Um but like I guess it was more like Rick and Morty style cynicism yeah. in that first episode. Mm-hmm. Which I felt like did really didn't work for Star Trek, right? But the rest of it uh, doesn't have that. But the one joke that I really did like is that is the 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 Cisneros being the ship that goes to do second contact with civilizations, yeah. yeah. And that is something that gets abandoned after the first episode. And I wish to God that we would get more of that. I, I think that that would be really funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean. 
to be fair, where what the ship is doing and where the ship is going is largely irrelevant to the plot. Mm, so like like what is actually happening, what the bridge crew is doing, like they do stuff and like things happen, but that's not important right now. And the mm. main characters don't really care and neither should you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um That does it, change a bit in the second season. The bridge crew becomes a little bit more central. Okay. Not too, too much. They don't overshadow the main cast, but gotcha. like you get to know more about the bridge crew mm-hmm. as the second season goes on. Yeah, I have only watched the season one. Um, yeah. I borrowed it on DVD from the public library uh, well over a week ago, so I'm probably going to be full of late fees. Um, but anyway, I watched it with Le- with my sister. Um, and she has like not seen any Star Trek media at all. Mm. like she went into this like very blind i think she may have seen like the jabrams uh star trek movie but, like, the jabrams the um, <laughs> that one that's it and like she didn't like that but to be fair she also doesn't like star wars so yeah. like she doesn't fair. she's not a big fan of like sci-fi in general um but she loved it she she really liked it and uh i enjoyed it too um I don't know what what do we want to talk about with it because like you you've, you're all like a whole season ahead of me. That's true. Yeah. I know I had to like rethink about what the first season. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like you you talk to us about your opinions and we'll tell you if you're right or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what did what did you think of it, Alex? Like like I I remember the first that first episode really well, and mm-hmm. I'm mostly just. I mostly just remember like hating it and being like, "Oh, is that what?" This God, and then it took be? him so long. It took me so long to convince him to watch yeah. the rest the, of the I, series. I was wrong, and I, then he was like, "Oh." It, and it's now like at, at the end of the second season. It is now like your favorite, maybe Star my Trek. second favorite Star Trek series oh, after DS Nine. After DS Nine. <laughs> I've, I've noticed the Venn diagram of like if you like DS9 there's a good chance that you you also really like Lower Decks mm-hmm. like if DS9 is one of your favorite Star Treks yeah. you'll also well because like they're Lower both Decks. objectively great <laughs> they're just isn't, and they're also like, a, like isn't this in like the setting like concurrent with DS9 or like just after yeah it's a little bit after because okay. um Mariner it might be in the second season but there are a few lines where Mariner talks about having been on a uh, stationed on Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. for a while there are there are a few things like that I noticed uh, there's a lot of like referential humor mm-hmm. or at least, at least yeah. well, maybe not even humor just like references to events that happened in yeah. other series of Star Trek and it's like much of that is going over my head yeah. And yet, I'm still enjoying myself. Yeah, I'm still yeah. having a good time. It doesn't fall into the the Big Bang Theory trap of like we reference a thing in a club. Yeah, yeah. they they do it sometimes. Yeah, but sometimes. like it, it does. It, it feels it's not the main source of humor. It's just sort of like if you're paying very close attention and are a huge Star Trek fan, like here you go. Here's a little treat. Like. Um, I love the fact that Quarks is now a chain. Like, that's yeah. one of the things that I'm like, oh, that's cute. I that's like a season that. two thing, apparently. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, thought, I'm pretty sure, I was pretty sure that that was something that got mentioned in season one as well. Maybe it got mentioned, but I have no idea. Yeah. I don't remember it. Um, is there, is, is it, it might be a, a season two episode, uh, but I thought it was a season one episode. The one where they go to the planet that's like a, one big city. 
No. No, okay. Then that, that Yeah, no, I don't remember. Then that's season two. Never mind. What what are they doing on this planet? I I can't remember. Okay. I just remember <laughs> there's a there's a there's a you see a cityscape, um, and there's a sign for quarks. Okay. Yeah, um, I don't I don't remember that. No, that was season that two. Because that two. was the episode about the box. That was the episode about the box. That's so, right. Oh my god. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so taking a look at the episodes of uh, which one of season one would you say is your favorite? You've told me what your least okay. favorite is. The, the, the last one. The last the, one? The, 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 the season finale is fucking great. Okay, yeah. Um, Which also gives you an idea of when in canon that happens, because it's after Riker has command of his own ship. Okay. So that lets you know that that is after, after TNG, after Deep Space Nine, after all the TNG movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I honestly, if I had to choose one, it's, uh, the, the third to last one. Uh, third to last one. Okay, let me, let me, Veritas? Veritas, yeah. It's the one where they think they're on trial. Oh, yes! Oh, yeah, that one's good, too. <laughs> the truth horn. Yeah, Ruthaf- you have to... Rutherford just blacking out, not... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, there's so many times when I went in, like, oh, poor Rutherford, or oh, poor Boimler. Mm-hmm. And like at first, I wouldn't think that I would be saying the phrase "poor Boimler," and yet <laughs> by the end, no, he like grow- like that's the thing though. It's like he, it, like oh, oh god, sorry. There's a really great, there's a really good season two episode that very much like, like not like redeems Boimler, but makes you. Like, season two does a really good job of, like, selling you on Boimler Mm -hmm. and letting you understand that it's, like, no, he's not just, like, a brown-nosing, you know, stick in the mud. Like, he's he's actually really good and he knows and he, like, that's the thing about all the characters, though, is they all, like, learn and grow from their mistakes slowly Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. So that way, like, by the end of the second season, they're all, like, better people. Um, Which I really like and appreciate um that's why it's so hard to talk about like like what we think about season one because like so much character development happens in season two that it's like oh fuck we can't talk about that yet like, oh i'm i'm sorry uh, no you're, okay. you're fine you're fine it's just like all the things like because season two has ended now um mm-hmm. i think last week or the week before we yeah. got the season finale and like Fuck, the season two season finale is so good. <laughs> um, and like the ongoing storyline about the war with the Packlids is all great, which like gets hinted at at the very end of season one. And then it becomes a big plot point throughout I mean, season two. The Packlids are like the the whole finale of season one. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say it's hinted at. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's well, but I mean, now. like it. It's not become a big thing. Okay. Like, like that, that, that last episode, yes. Mm-hmm. But then, like, almost all of season two, like, they'll be talking about, oh, yeah, the war against the Packlids. Mm. Um, and, like, there's entire episodes that are dedicated to the war against the Packlids, which... That's one of the, that's another one of the ones that's like, okay, like, this is a reference to something that happened in TNG, but it feels very natural. Mm-hmm. Um... Did you, do you ever see that episode of TNG, Alex? Do you know what? I have not, no. Okay, so there's one, I, I'm trying to remember exactly why Picard's not there. 
But there's an episode where Picard is not there. And so Riker's in charge of the ship. And they run into the Packlids, and they don't know who they are. Like, it's a first contact kind of situation. Um, and their ship is broken. And so, like, they're, like, going over to, like, try to help them. And you realize as it goes on, like, no, the Packlids are just, like, a race of idiots who are just, like, just steal shit from people mm-hmm. to, like, make their spaceships work. Gotcha. And so, like... Okay, they're like they're 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 a race that could easily be like villains to the to the uh to the Federation for like kind of similar reasons to why the Ferengi were trying to be they were trying to pitch the Ferengi as villains. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, like like while the Ferengi uh, like while the Federation is like, you know, noble and altruistic, like the Ferengi are like greedy. So with the Packlids, it's like like with the, the Federation the pack they're uh you know they're intelligent and sophisticated and they love like classical music and shakespeare <laughs> and the pack lids are just like you know can barely string a sentence together right um and, and so it makes it really fun that like they become a major villainous force and you get to find out what life is like on Packlid planet uh <laughs> Which is something that happens in season two, which is just, it is so fucking funny. Like all the shit that happens on Packled Planet. Um, oh God, what is, oh, I need to tell you the name of the episode. And now I, I can't, rem- I just remember that the name is fucking great. And I don't remember what it is now. Oh yeah. The Spy Humongous. Okay. Yes. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> uh. Okay, yeah. Um, you need to watch season two so you can talk about it. Okay, it's... I will watch season two. My <laughs> sister is also also wants me to to get season two. I doubt oh, we could just have... give you the our CBS login. I mean, I... we could give you money for a CBS login because we're not one we're of not those people who password. shares passwords. No, <laughs> that's wrong. That costs Netflix billions That's of dollars every year. Tantamount to stealing. It <laughs> is tantamount. You wouldn't download a car. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway. But yeah, I, some, I somehow doubt it's already out on DVD in the public library. So yeah. I will oh, nice. take you up on that offer. Um, what offer? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, the offer. Yes. Yes, yes. The The offer. The offer. Wink, wink. The offer. Okay. So, um, but no, it's it's such a good show. So one of the things I that like, I... Oh. I was going to say, I do like um, how, like, when they're doing the, like, the, the penultimate episode, and it's like they're, they're making a movie. Yes! Um, oh, God, yeah. I forgot about that one. That one's um, really good, too. That one was good, and, like, how... I don't know. It's just like, hey, could you stop calling me like an Orion pirate? Like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like being associated with slavers, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you stop that? Um, anyway. Now I really want to go back and rewatch yeah. season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. It, it is, it is definitely a show that's going to be worth a rewatch. Cause like, yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And that's again, something that gets developed more in season two. Nice. Um, like I like said, you, I would die for Incentendi. You find um, out so much more about... There's an entire episode 
I, I, I'm not going to stop spoiling. No, I'm not. I don't, I don't want to spoil what happens. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I will find it out when I see it. Okay. Um, I was going to say, one of the things that I really like about uh, Lower Decks is it really justifies the medium of animation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many things that they do in animation that you just couldn't do in, if you were doing a live action show, right? like the CDN navigation. That's another season. Shut up! Stop spoiling things. Sorry. God, you're so awful. I think I think the um the the badgie the um the program ba- right. yeah, the badgie. badgie the program or like even the doctor like the fact that you just have like a cat woman as the doctor woman, yeah. like like they've cat made cat, they've made cat people in real life in um in Star Trek apparently before and they look terrible like yeah but it's like you know we're <laughs> like on works. a we're on a planet or like we're like a spaceship made up of a crew of people from all over the galaxy, but they're all going to be from earth for some reason or earth like planets. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly human and from earth like planets or it's like, you know, you're human, but you have a nose ridge or you have some Mm -hmm. spots on you, I guess, you know, like Mm -hmm. they don't do a great job with like, I did like the little robot. (laughs) <laughs> that was a Starfleet Oh so yeah, yeah, that's another robot that just like floats around. That's there. another TNG reference. Oh, yeah. That that's there's an episode where Data builds those things. Okay. Um, and they develop uh they develop artificial intelligence. Nice. And so they're like, oh shit, we can't because we were using these things to do really dangerous stuff, but now they're intelligent, so we can't really do that anymore. Like, yeah. what do we do with them? And so, yeah, the fact that they come back as, like, as characters with, like, personalities and, like, a rank is really good. Yeah. Like, it's a it's a natural development from something that happened in the previous I didn't, episode. I didn't realize that that was a thing from... Oh, yeah, yeah. Generation. Yeah. That's the thing, is that I'm coming in, like, half-blind to the references, so it's still, like, kind of a, yeah. a new experience in some respects. But it's, like, you know, I love the fact that it can be more fantastical. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways and I love uh, I love how like deep they get into kind of the lore of Star Trek and, yeah um, you know in a way that it's like they couldn't really do that if they were doing a live action if they were tied to you know a 26 episode season um, you know like I mean it's really we were really bummed when we got to the end and we realized there were no more new episodes but also, like, 10 episodes, like, 10 episode seasons are really nice. Yeah. Like, it tells a really tight story. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would I would probably want there to be maybe two more episodes a season. Like, go with That's 12, fair. Like, that's fair. But, but yeah, no, I, it's, it's good. Um, you know, there's no drive. There's not a lot of filler. Um, well, the whole thing is filler. I was going to say, yeah. you could say that the whole thing is filler, and I think that's what allows them to flesh out the Star Trek universe more because it doesn't yeah. have to be like this big dramatic. We're at war with the Dominion. Yeah, yeah, or like it's very small scale drama. Like, like you know, there, like there's... will Boimler get a date? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or like just have like what would have been like a a tertiary plot in like a TNG episode is like the main plot yeah, or yeah. something like this, where it's like, oh, we're like escorting this ambassador from. A to B, and like, meanwhile, one of the characters has forgotten their security clearance and is trapped somewhere on the ship. Like, and that's the story. Right. <laughs> like, how does this person get 
through security on the ship mm-hmm. while you know they're they're transporting this other person. And that the transporting part goes without a hitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you just see those characters kind of doing the stuff that they're doing. And it's fun because there's a lot of just like Star Trek officers being competent. Yeah. And like nothing going wrong. And instead, like, yeah, like you said, we get um these I don't know. It's just it's nice. I like Lyrodex. It's cool. Mm-hmm. End of list, it's I guess. Very, very cool. No notes. <laughs> no notes. No notes. <laughs> it's a great show. It's a, it's a really fucking good show. I'm kind of interested in, like, why... <laughs> why is it, like, if you like DS9, you also like Lyrodex? Because they're, they're both, like very working class in yeah. terms of like their aesthetic. He was more than a what do, what do they always say about Miles of Ryan? He was more he was than an engineer. Support. He was a working he was a, he was a, he was a union, union man. man. Yeah. <laughs> Most important person in Starfleet history. <laughs> that one was in season one, right? Uh yes. Yeah. So okay. they, 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 go, they go to like the far future and they're like mm-hmm. the, the Boimler maneuver is to do this something really stupid. Yeah. To be really lazy. Uh and then after that, now we talk about the most important person ever, Miles O'Brien. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um But yeah, there is like something very like blue collar about uh DS9. Whereas, you know, TNG it's like we're 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 going to go to the the chamber music orchestra mm-hmm. later. You know we're gonna we're going to attend the Shakespeare play that Beverly put together. Mm-hmm. Um, versus like DS Nine is like we're gonna play Dabo and fuck <laughs> darts. We're gonna darts. play darts and drink <laughs> beer. There's there's like uh, in lower decks like they go to the 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 deck they go to the mess hall or whatever and there's like just like a rock band going on. Yeah. It's yeah. Just like, yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I that's what I really appreciated about it. It's like it's, yeah, no, they're they're like real people in the Federation. Yeah. As opposed to just like those nerds on the, the Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well and, and DS9 kinda has the same thing. Like, cause it, in the first episode, it's like, well, the 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 lead is not a captain, he's just a commander. Yeah. Like so, you're already moving everyone down yeah, one pit. You know what I mean? Well, it's also like that iconic uh, scene of of Cisco of Q being on board ship and like Cisco just like punching his lights out and yeah. being like, "You, Picard you hit me. Pit, Picard never hit me." And it's like, <laughs> "I'm not Picard." And it's like, "Yes." <laughs> like this is the Star Trek show. <laughs> we fight and we fuck. Anyway. Speaking of Star Trek, and I know we're running we're running over an hour, um, and, and we've been kind of keeping it low on time. Um speaking of Star Trek, there was another thing I did that I kind of wanted to talk about that is Star Trek related. Okay. okay. Um and that is I started playing the Star Trek online t- uh MMO. Oh, oh I played that very briefly years ago. Yeah. What did you think of it in your very brief time you played of it for so many years ago? I thought it was it was fun to design your own ship, mm-hmm. and it was fun to design your own bridge officer, mm-hmm. and then the the lore is fun. Okay, but playing the actual game, 
was less fun. Yes. That was sort of my estimation of it. Like, everything yeah. was great about it, except for the actual video game parts. <laughs> Fair. And that's kind of what I'm getting from it, too. Um, so I'm playing it on... Because, like, like WoW, you know, there's factions that you have. Yeah. Um, so there's, like, the Federation and there's the Klingons. Because uh, I think it's set in, like, the movie-verse. It's set in the Jabrams-verse. Yeah. I think um, it's set in a... I don't remember. It, I, I don't, don't know. I don't think it's the Jabrams. I think it I think is, like, the future? I think. Well, no, I think it's the Jabrams. It's the future of the Jabrams-verse. Mm -hmm. Because, like, they talk about how, like, the, the capital of the Romulans have been, like, destroyed. Like, the planet was blown right, up. Right, but that doesn't happen in the J.J. Abrams timeline. That happens in the Prime timeline that causes the J.J. Abrams timeline. I, I don't fucking know. Okay. Whatever the case may be, it's in that timeline where Romulus doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know, like... Okay, so, like, I made a character, and in this timeline, for whatever reason, um, you have the, the Klingon Empire has a lot more species in it, has a lot more people in it. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I created an Orion um, captain that's in the Klingon Empire. And I was thinking, okay, well, she's Orion, so clearly she's going to have other options for dealing with things than, like, a Klingon would do, right? Because, like, a Klingon's all about honor and all about, like, glory from battle and such. But, like, an Orion might have other options. Like, how can yeah. I talk these people down? Or how could I do something else? Or you know, something like that. The game doesn't give you options. No. The, the storyline is very set in stone. It's very much a railroad. And yeah. while it's an interesting story, you know, from a, like a politics and like um, uh, espionage kind of perspective, it's just, I, I wanted to play a video game where I had right. some control over my character, right? Like I didn't, uh, what's the fun? Because mm -hmm. like, yeah. if the fun is clicking buttons to make my guns shoot real fast, that's like, okay, I guess. I could have just played Legends. Great Shadow Legends. Yeah, whatever the case may be. So it's like, I don't know. Like that's the thing, and that's par probably why I've never really gotten into MMOs all that much. Yeah, is because like they just by design can't really be all that uh, exhaustive. Yeah, can't really. I mean, there there's a few that someone has mentioned, like the the Star Wars, the old the what is it, Star Wars: The Old Republic or something like that, where it's like that's probably the best of that, where you have mm -hmm. a lot of options and wiggle room. I it's think like based on it's like based Star on the Wars, I think there was Star Wars. Well, yeah, there was the Old Republic, and then but there's also Star Wars Galaxies, which okay. was the one that came before it. Which might be the one you're thinking of, because okay. that is the only MMO I can think of that has, has straight up non-combat classes. Nice. Like you could you could have played that game as a merchant mm -hmm. or like an entertainer. I oh, want to play that. I want to yeah, play that. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Good luck. God damn it. <laughs> but um... people got pissed off because you couldn't just make a like that was the one of the cool things about that game that they uh -huh. kind of took away from it for for understandable reasons. Like it was a great idea. That that was like really shitty in execution, and the idea was, you couldn't just roll a Jedi Knight, mm -hmm. right? Because like, and that makes sense, right? For the setting, if you're gonna make a realistic Star Wars universe, you can't just have everyone be a Jedi Knight. Yeah, there has to be people who are like doing other things, like again, like bounty hunters and merchants and shit like that. Right. Um. So the way that they solved that was just well. When you made your character, 
there was a one in whatever chance that your character would be force sensitive. Mm, and if you had a character who was force sensitive, you could find a like a, a, a storyline mm -hmm. to make your Jedi, your character into a Jedi Knight. I like that. That sounds really It's cool. a great idea, but can you imagine how pissed off people got when it's like, what do you mean I can't just make a Jedi yeah. Knight? I want to be a Jedi Knight in my Star Wars Why do you want to be a Jedi Knight so bad? Oh my god, just be, yeah. be a somebody. <laughs> no, again, uh, if if this were anything other than Star Wars, right, yeah. that would have probably been way better, but it's like, mm -hmm. no, I want my laser sword. Yeah. I like, want my Pew Pew laser yeah. sword to be, to be a Jedi Knight in the Star mm -hmm. Wars game. And like, and like, like going back to going back to the um the Star Trek online, like the species didn't really seem to matter. Like the dialogue yeah. choices were all Klingon dialogue choice. You know, I didn't. I only had one dialogue choice in like four hours of playing so far. Like I'm almost mm -hmm. finished with like this first kind of quest line, but like <clears throat> I have only had one dialogue choice, and that was like, do you want to fight this battle or do you want to try to talk and and skip it? And like mm -hmm. the talk and skip like is just an automatic success if you chose that one. Otherwise, you're just like, oh, hey, you can fight this battle if you want to, because, you know, battle, glory, honor, all the rest. Um, but, like, but, like, the other thing is that, like, the classes, like, you have three classes in Star Trek Online, and that is mm -hmm. dependent on whether you're an engineer, a, a science officer, or a, um, a tactical, right? Yeah. And you would yeah. think that they would play differently, but they don't they really. They don't. It doesn't really do much except add some bonuses or negatives to certain things. You get certain actions that, like, I just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. Now, to be fair, this game is, like, over 10 years old, although it's yeah. still, still run and still exists, which is wild. But they need to remake that, and they need to make something better. <laughs> I think with with the revival in Star Trek and this time period right now, um, it might be I, possible. I mean, Alex, I think what you just want is a is a Star Trek TTRPG. I think that's what. <laughs> I mean, I would love that. Yes, I'm pretty sure that they exist. I'm pretty okay. sure you could just find one. Mm -hmm. Do would if we were to to play a Star Trek TTRPG, what role on the bridge would you want to play? Oh gosh. Um I don't know. For for Star Trek Online, I think I rolled a science officer, so I think I'll probably just go with science officer. Alright. Uh that, that are like communications might be fun. Okay. Uh, I think I would be the ship's counselor. <laughs> okay. Mostly because I'm like I've thought about it. I'm like, if I lived in the Star Trek universe, that's probably what I would be. <laughs> um but I do love a good bit. And I love the idea of being, like, just being Beckett, you know. As, the as a ship's counselor? No, 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 no. like, in a right? Like, <laughs> oh. just, like, but, but, like, being an ensign. But I think I would be a, I think I would be a ship's counselor. I also love Paul F. Tompkins, just to go back to Laura Dexter's. Oh, there. God, yeah. Paul, Paul F. Tompkins as the, the ship's counselor, counselor is pretty really good. good. Oh, right, yeah, he's got, he's, he's in, like, one episode in the. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah a he's a bird. Part. He's yeah, the bird he's a person. Makes makes food puns. Mm -hmm. uh, I know. Oh, I love him. <laughs> um, or it'd just be Guinan. Yeah, I think I'd either be like a ship's counselor or I'd be Guinan, the bartender. <laughs> I don't know what I would be. Um, yeah? Yeah. Doctor. I could see use engineering. Engineering. Oh, okay. Doctor. I could see doctor. Doctor or engineering, yeah. 
anyway, now that we've we've uh, thought up of character ideas for a role playing game that we're not playing uh, <laughs> and we'll never play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll find the books. I'll send the Alex and be like, "Hey, hey, let's never <laughs> let's uh, have this and want to play it and never have the time to." <laughs> uh, it's like it's like the adulthood. yeah. I mean, like I got not too long ago. Like I got in the mail um, the book from the Stargate role playing game mm-hmm. that I backed on Kickstarter, and it's like, oh my god, this looks great. These options look great. You can play as a Tokra. I'm never going to get a chance to get people together around a table to play this. <laughs> yeah. Enough people that care about Stargate that want to play t- uh, TTRPGs. Um, I know like maybe one other person and they live in the Netherlands. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stargate was never my bag. So I'll, I would play, I will play the Star Trek one. Mm-hmm. If you, if you put that one together, I will definitely roll a character for that. Sure. Um, what was the other thing that we were going to talk about? Are we done? Are we moving on from Star Trek? Yeah, let's move on from Star Trek. I've, I've I, talked about all I can think of. I think the only other thing that we've watched is um, Inside Job. Inside Job. Inside so Job. So I guess maybe we'll finish up talking about Inside Job and then we'll we'll call it a night. Yeah, we don't have much to say about Inside Job yet because we've only really kind of just started it. I so, don't know what that is. Okay, it is the new. Uh, New com- uh, cartoon from Alex Hirsch, who created uh, Gravity Falls. Okay. It is not Gravity Falls. <laughs> it, it is a very adult cartoon. It is. It is sort of. It is sort of a more grown up. Like like if if Gravity Falls were allowed to be like Rick and Morty or South Park is mm-hmm. sort of what it is. It, it's um the the premise of it is. Uh, all cons- the conspiracy theories you ever heard, they're all true. Mm-hmm. All of them are true. A- Every and single one. Mm-hmm. And including, so this- including the um, uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion? <laughs> Haven't gotten to that one yet, okay. but we've, t- we've talked about the, uh, the Kennedy assassination, cloning, robot president, um, faked moon landings, mm-hmm. lizard people, all of that stuff, and the- just the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the joke is like, yeah, it, all conspiracy theories basically are true. They're all kind of controlled by this one shadowy organization. Uh, uh, that's like the main character is the daughter of one of the people who founded this company. That's like the front for the shadowy organization that runs everything. And now she's trying to work her way up in the company. Um, She's like an evil genius Mm -hmm. uh, scientist. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is the head of like a small team uh, that reports directly to the head of the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they like, she's really mad genius, very few social skills. So like everybody hates her. And so they bring on a like autistic coded. Not really. Uh, okay. No. More like she's she's unbearable because she's an asshole. Uh, yeah. Not because she has any kind of like so like she knows she knows better and chooses not to. Does that make okay. sense? That makes sense. Um, as sort of as sort of how she's played, and um, 
they bring on like the most cishet of cishet white men. Oh dear. Like uh, he was like a lobbyist. What was he? He was like, I was the president of my frat and then I got to become a lobbyist and now I'm here. Like, Oh no. Um, but he's very, but like the ironic thing is he's very nice. Yeah. Like he's just really nice. He's, he's kind of a blank slate Yeah. for like, just wants literally his entire personality is based around wanting other people to like him. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much it. Uh, so it's very fun. It's a very fun pairing. Um, another another show that very much justifies the medium of animation because mm-hmm. there's there's shit there's just so much crazy shit you. that happens. Right, you could not do you could not do IRL, um, which I I don't know. Like I always appreciate uh, the stuff with the dad. The dad is a very like Rick Sand. Chan- uh, Sanchez. Stand-in. He reminds me more of Grunkle Stan from Gravity yeah. Falls. He's basically so the, the the dad is still around, the guy who founded the company, but he's retired and now he's bitter that the, the that this is going on now without him, and so he's becoming uh, kind of a like a a crazy person ranting on the street or and or on YouTube like whistleblower mm-hmm. talking about all the secrets of the shadow government, right. Um, which is kind of a fun little, little thing. Uh, I just, I don't know. I love the, uh, the chaos of all of it. Like there's only been, we've only watched two episodes so far. And the second one involves, uh, like huge numbers of John F. Kennedy clones and the guy who really killed Kennedy, who still works for the organization, whose name is uh, Grassy Noel Atkinson. <laughs> Noel spelled N-O-E-L. Of course. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, we're running out of money, so we should find someone to fire. And it's like, well, what has Grassy Noel done recently? So they're trying to like come up with a reason to fire him to save the money for on his salary. And then everyone like starts protesting because he's a hero, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's a legend. You can't just get rid of him. So they have to then come up with a reason to not fire him. Okay. Which involves releasing all the JFK clones. Well, releasing one of the JFK clones and then that JFK clone Release releases all, all the, the other, other ones. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it ends up being, this huge, like, uh, uh, obvious, like, Akira reference to the point where one of the characters is like, oh, there's a problem. What kind of a problem? Well, have you ever seen Akira? Of course I've seen Akira! Anime is very mainstream right now! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's... Well, yeah... It is on Netflix. I think the entire first season is streaming on Netflix right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I've uh, been avoiding Netflix as part of like a, a half boycott that's going on. Yeah, I thought I, I I was on the understanding that it was just that one day was the day they were supposed to do the the boycott. So we know. we avoided it that day. Um, but I have not heard anything about it since. I don't know. I'll get back to it at some point, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, let me know if they disprove the protocols. 
<laughs> I think I think of all conspiracy theories, that one is a, a pretty pretty good one to not believe in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I I have a very strong feeling that that one will probably not come up, mm-hmm. but who knows? Or if it comes up, someone will be like, "What that? No, that's bullshit." Yeah, like, that'll be like that, one of the ones that the that'll be in the misinformation category. Yeah. Um, yeah, Alex Alex Hirsch is definitely like a very angry person at a lot of like the things that have happened. Mm-hmm. There's there's a some very obvious shots at Disney because okay. he fucking hated working yeah. for Disney when he was making Gravity Falls. Yeah, I so, remember reading about that. Like that kind of stuff is coming. And there's also shots at Netflix. Uh, the 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 character who's in charge of like running the media. Uh, there's a there's a visual gag in the background of one scene where uh there there's like something about the Drake me- there's a Drake meme that's making fun of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is now, but so he's just a lot of shit happening. Uh, there's a part there's the uh the diner where the dad meets with the current head of the company to discuss business in one episode mm-hmm. has a signed headshot of Mitch McConnell in the background. Mm. So, you know, not, not subtle about the politics, not subtle at all. I guess that's the theme for the episode. Yeah. Not being subtle about politics. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's the theme of all of our episodes, but <laughs> I mean, I think we tend to approach politics with the subtlety of an anvil being dropped on someone's head. But, uh, so what do you expect from some nerds have a podcast? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I think... Yeah, I think we're about out of content for tonight. Content. content. You got the, the drop. Best bit in the show. Um, <laughs> so thank you all for listening, everyone. My name is Alex. I'm Nick. I'm Elise! <laughs> <laughs> We've been. <laughs> <laughs> you all have a wonderful.